Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hey, this is Cleveland Brown, and you're listening to the About Last Night podcast. I guess your TV must be broken. Ha <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. You're bored. Hey, Brad. What's up, Adam? Oh, dude, you know, just feeling real chill. You look good, you feel good. Oh, and when you look good and you feel good, you pod good. Darn right. And what's the best way that we can pod good? Put Koi CBD in your body. So great. I'm so glad that these guys jumped on as the sponsors. CBD oil is the hottest thing in health right now. You watch the news. Every day there's a new study about how good this stuff is and the benefits of it. We're one press conference away from Trump being like, this is why (laughs) my cheeseburgers (laughs) taste so good. They've got Koi CBD oil in them. CBD, if you don't know what it is, it's not weed. That's a big misconception. It's an yep. oil derived from an industrial hemp plant that has no psychoactive effects. So you get the medical benefits from the hemp plant without getting the high, man. It's a great natural alternative to over-the-counter and pharmaceutical drugs. Now, there's a lot of uh, uses for CBD oil. Absolutely. Uh, creams, uh, tinctures, uh, vapes, gummies, which Koi all provides. I fuck with the gummies every morning because yeah. it starts my day off with a very relaxed, chill, meditative. Uh, I just feel dialed in. There's got to be something in the these gummies that also you know gives your brain an extra level of of uh coherentness is that the word well because you, you probably took it makes a, you make up words you <laughs> took a gummy before you said that that's for sure and i do the same thing but i have the but i have the oils i i just take the cbd yeah. oil i put it in my tea and then i'm, I'm good to go for You're the rest a tea guy of the day now. is that is that from being married I mean, I, I I don't know what it is. I'm a, tea is great, though. I'm I'm a tea guy because it makes me feel good. And yeah. CBD oil, koi CBD oil, makes me feel even better. They got all sorts of flavors. They got what are pe- the flavors? They got peppermint. They Ooh. got lemon lime. They got blue raspberry. They got all these all these different things. They are the fruity pebbles of CBD oil. <laughs> People use it too for pain, anxiety, inflammation. My mom uses the uh, koi uh, topical creams for yeah. arthritis, and she straight yep. up told me she's like, "I don't hurt like I hurt before." That's a great slogan. And I'm like, that is so on. Awesome honest and real and that's coming from a jewish mom yeah. and as you said they don't uh they don't lie they don't lie this stuff works so well i'm scared to rub the lotion on me because i think it might cure my dwarfism <laughs> and then what the fuck am i gonna joke about well koi cbd uh all these products are manufactured in the usa with 100 natural cbd oil uh, it's the best tasting product on the market as yep. we've attested to the flavors we've tried a bunch people have come to us all the time trying to be like yo can we sponsor we haven't found the one we've liked until now and uh they're uh, america's number one trusted cbd brand all the products are thc uh thc free and uh, it's a family-owned and operated um, uh, company. And uh, if you want to fuck with Koi, which you should, because we do, and we can't uh, talk about how much we love their products enough, uh, the gummies, the tinctures, the creams, uh, the tinctures, the drops. Dude, I put a couple drops in before I go to bed. And it also makes it easier to drink coffee, because coffee gives me a little bit of anxiety. Yep. Now it calms me down. Um, so I love that. If you want it, go to KoiCBD.com right now. Put in promo code about last night, all one word, all caps, for 20% off any retail order from the website. Koi cbd.com promo code about last night for 20 percent off the order start feeling good start living good start looking good start dwarfing good start dwarfing good <laughs> the official uh dwarf uh sponsor koi is the official cbd sponsor of dwarves can i say that i'm pretty sure <laughs> 
You've got proof. I'm, I'm a dwarf. I'll bring it up in the next meeting. <laughs> and now enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. This weekend, I will be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on Thursday at the Rivers Casino with Dane Cook. That's Thursday, the 17th of October, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Rivers Casino. And then Friday, Seminole Hard Rock Hotel in Northfield, Ohio. On Friday, the 18th of October, Northfield, Ohio, Seminole Hard Rock Hotel. And then uh, Saturday, holy shit, Mohegan Sun Arena in Uncasville, Connecticut. On Saturday, the 19th of October, Mohegan Sun Arena. All those dates with Dane Cook. Tickets at danecook.com. Brad Williams this weekend is in New Jersey at the Stress Factory on Friday and Saturday. Go see Brad in uh, New Jersey, New Brunswick at the Stress Factory. Tickets at bradwilliamscomedy.com. Today's a bonus episode, baby. I've been on tour with him. I've been flying on his fucking private jet, which is crazy. And we did a podcast from the skies. First one ever that I've done. Not in the history of podcasts, but uh, from a plane. And uh, I tell you this, flying private makes you never want to fly commercial again (laughs) because you don't have to deal with all the bullshit and all the people and all the where am I going to get my snacks from because they're on the plane already. It rules, man. Dane rules. These shows have been killer. And um, we got kind of deep on this one. We talk a lot of comedy. And uh, got to the core of, of what makes Dane Dane and where he got his uh, his kind of his bravery and fearlessness and thirst and, and passion for uh, for the arts and for performing. Uh, really pretty cool. He told me off mic uh, a handful of uh, stories about this and finally got to put it on record so you guys could hear. Uh, we talked about his latest uh, appearance on Jimmy Fallon, uh, touring, what these shows have been like, what the new fans have been like, and... Uh, and, you know, we just riff a lot, too. It's a fun, funny episode. We did it from the skies on a private jet. So it doesn't get cooler than this. So enjoy this episode, a bonus episode, with the great Dane Cook on the Tell It Like It Is tour, which is currently um, still in progress. Like I said, this weekend, next weekend, the weekend after, uh, all the way leading up to a big show here in L.A. at the Dolby Theater, which I'll be doing with him on November 16th on Saturday. So follow Dane at danecook.com. Uh, for all the tour dates, Dane Cook on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Adam Ray Comedy on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Brad's at Funny Brad and Brad Williams Comic on Instagram. At Alan Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. AboutLastNightPodcast.com for all your ALN merch and past and present eps. Email us at AboutLastNightPod at gmail.com. I'm going to be reading um, a handful more fan letters on Monday when the Sue Bird episode drops, which I can't wait for. Um, and going to be giving out some more uh, some more free merch. So email us again at aboutlastnightpod at gmail.com. Your favorite apps, how you got into the pod, where you listen to it, why you love it, and we might pick your email to win some free merch. Rate us and comment on the iTunes page. Helps us climb the charts. Give it a five-star rating. Comment on the iTunes page. And subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, wherever you get your audio fix. Go get it. Get the podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Go back. Listen to the Sandra Bullock eps, the Dana Carvey eps, the, 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 the Melissa McCarthy, the, the Neil Patrick Harris, Blake Griffin, Gary Payton, uh, Adam Devine, Dane Cook, who's done it twice already, three times actually, this makes number four, and, uh, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. So now that we got the tour dates, Twitter handles, and merch info out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night podcast, a bonus episode with the one and only Dane Cook.
to our dope podcast. Darren loves dinner or breakfast. Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you at the time of the day. So come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. What you can do and what what is, I think, expected of any person in performance is hone your craft, extend those abilities, yep. and teach yourself some new tricks, because when things do finally start to swirl around back in your favor, now you're not coming at people with like, hey, remember that thing that I did before? Here's some more of it. Yeah. The same way, with a little less energy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and a little less enthusiasm, yeah. because I'm a little bored doing it. <laughs> no. You got to be constantly reinventing. I think that you're you're like like having a, a home. It's constant upkeep. The minute you sit back and you just start letting things kind of settle in, uh, cracks, you know, start to show. So I'm a person that believes in being resilient, and I knew coming into this part of my life that the only way I was going to have a round whatever we want to call it, a round six, for example, was to evolve and to grow in my comedy. So it was intentional to take a little more time back to not try to put product out uh, just for to make ready. a few bucks yeah. before it's ready. Because that's easy. Because you could have. You could have been. You could have oh, done a big yeah. tour every year and just yeah. go out with, right? Yeah, but when you do that, what you're, there's a very, very small window of opportunity to be somebody who is... Um, in, in that rare air where you're just a constant fixture like the holidays in people's life. So random. There's a Will Smith or a Dave Chappelle or comedy, like an Eddie Murphy. There's yeah. a few people that are like part of a, 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 an orbit or a cycle. The rest of us, most of us, don't have that. You got to re earn your spot, you got to reclaim your position. And the only way you're going to do that is by entering new territory and bringing something new to the table in performance. Did, did you get uh, or do you get DMs throughout this break of people being like, and did that play a factor in you wanting to then go, all right, it's time for the tour. You seem very calculated when you're doing spots in LA about like building the material. And I've, you know, now I've seen, I feel like I've seen there's, you know, all, every show is different. You're mixing a match. You've probably got hours of material yeah. to lay down for this next special that you've been you know curating over these last five years and more so sometimes I've seen you do bits in one or two times and then like at a club and then haven't seen on tour and then see one on tour that I hadn't seen you work out so how are you deciding each night what to do uh, and because again me, like at this quickly... level I feel like it's you could I feel like, you know, again, five years ago, I saw hours that I'm like, I would think to myself, I was like, man, why is he, lay, why is he laying that down? Right. Well, I finished it because I knew that it was kind of like, all right, put that one in a lockbox and let me start to talk about something else. It, it's not like it was when you're coming up and maybe like for me 15 years ago where you're just trying to kill and be the best in the room that night. Yeah. That goes away after a certain amount of time and you realize it feels that, good when that goes away, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. the best. Yeah. Not about just like... Hey, I got to be the best so I can get with the hottest girl in the room and and make everybody else feel like ah, I didn't kill as hard as that's that's you know I'm still dealing with that on certain levels. Sure, and a lot of it too is also wanting respect from 
your peers. So if I'm in a room and I know there's comics that I love that are there, right? I might abandon more of the newer stuff I was going to do that night because I want to, you know, this is the first time they're seeing me. Right. That happened the other night with Ron White. And it's not like I'm ever going to become best friends with him, but I just, I was like, I want him to see me in my element. Yeah. But at some point that will... That's understandable, and I and I think to again to some extent, there's always going to be that yeah. feeling. I think that's also just being a being a guy, and you know the alpha that's yes. in us, and you know. Uh, well, he talks con- a lot of shit online, Ron White, about me. So it was also like extra. He, extra he did juice. the same thing to me too, and then you meet him; he's the nicest guy. Yeah. Oh, no, I was so- joking. <laughs> oh wow, oh, he, yeah. he really did that to me. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. He talked a lot of smack, and then when I met him, I. I did he said uh, he was, somebody should he was toss wonderful. your tater salad? What did he say? Whatever he said, he said, yeah, he said something. Um, I, I don't remember. I just remember that it was like unnecessary. Oh. But I started to learn sometime back, like these guys have a character, and part of that character is sometimes um, influenced by who their fans like and stand behind. Oh yeah, and of course their fans are going to like and stand behind who Ron White. Yes. So I didn't take it so personal, and then I meet him, and he's lovely. And I meet his girlfriend. Truly, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I, all that stuff is like, uh, I, I'm more so much more zen about all that. Yeah, you I've are. had too many people come to me over the years who try to say something or smash me or bash me. And then they come to me and they go, hey, dude, I was dealing with my own shit. Or I was jealous. Yeah. Or I, I was being questioned about why I wasn't doing what you're doing. Adam, honestly, it, it, it finally just kind of all, all that goes away. The only thing that remains is like, hey, I got a fan base that really wants new stuff to yeah. laugh at. And that's the only um, equation that you should be thinking about. Not to say that some nights you're not going to still feel competitive yeah. or want those things. Because there's a healthy element to that, right? There is, as long as it's not as as overwhelming you, to, you. Yeah. You know? And as long as you don't you. leave the stage and go, I, I did that entirely to, as a fuck you to somebody sitting yeah. at the back of the room or, yeah, yeah, nah. Yeah. Those, those, you start, I think you start to learn in, in, in business especially, you know, uh, if you're if you're movie making and you're and you're directing, you want to make a great sequel. Well, don't rehash. You want to do something that takes those characters to a place that the audience didn't expect, and they're on an emotional journey. I think a comedy is the same way as great films. I think of it as the as great music. You know, the Bruce Springsteens. I, I try to bring something new. Um, I try to put something new into who I am year after year, and I try to bring something else out that maybe I've been afraid to tap into year after year. When you're trying to write new material and just find, like, I don't know if you have a theme for the... But can I, can I answer something really quickly Please, that yeah. we, we glossed over? Yeah. Because I, I like being concise about this. I never stopped doing comedy over the last, say, people like to say five years. Yeah. But I'm going to lay it out really quickly. Four years ago, Troublemaker hit. Yeah. Super proud of it. I directed it. I produced it. I financed it. I sold it. It's one of my faves. Okay, my, one of my favorites too. Yeah. Just aesthetically, and then material-wise, and just where I was at in my life. And there was a break, but before that one, right? Like a three or four year. Well, I was working on Troublemaker leading up to that. Yeah. And I was touring. I was on. Uh, tr- there was one tour that was before that. I think it was all across Canada. Yeah. And then did Troublemaker. And then from Troublemaker, that's when I knew, okay, you know what? I know the corner that I want to turn at this point, but I'm not putting the mic down. I'm just going to stay in L.A. I'm going to do these gigs here and there. I'm going to do a couple of tours that are underground. Like the year before this tour, I did a full tour of like 50 dates 
and I never advertised, I don't think, one of them. I just kind of floated into town and I would do these you know, gigs that I'd never done before as a way to just work out, work out without even like having anything expected of me. Did you feel there was an importance to get out of L.A. to do that? Why did you or just... Yeah, I wanted to take all the stuff out on the road that yeah. I worked in L.A. for a couple of years since Troublemaker. So it was poignant and it was kind of my own master plan to go, I'm going to take two years, I'm going to really build this out to two plus hours of material then I'm going to do the name tour and then 2020 I knew I'm going to be hitting 30 years in 2020 so everything now is leading up to what I think is going to be a very dynamic and and special year I don't want to give everything away right now but of course people are going okay is this special on its way And, and, and without answering it very directly I think there's something even greater than that that's on its way Well, I can attest because I've been watching it night in and night out, and it would be a fucking shame if you weren't in some way preparing to lay down what you're doing across the country right now. And to speak on how I thought Troublemaker was one of your best, I feel like, and it should only be that way. So if you're growing and evolving and and being consistent with, you know, what the art form requires, like you should be getting better but also i feel like with this one i feel like is extra special the material is all still like vintage you like what your fans love about you and um you know just energy and silliness and fun and stuff that makes you think and great funny act outs all the stuff that i feel like that got me into you right and um but but you know what you've talked about on all these podcasts in the last year and even just as you mentioned too about getting more zen like there's all of that that bleeds into who you are on stage doing these shows now, right? Right. More introspective. Yeah. With all those other things, the the the. You don't lose any funny by getting more introspective. No, no. If anything, what you start to learn is, oh wow, by being even more transparent and vulnerable with the things that have happened to me, both in success and failure, it just makes me have a a deeper connection. You know, people write me every night. I read the DMs every single night, as I have for my whole career, yeah. whether it was MySpace or whatever the current, uh, you know, hip app or whatever it might be. Yeah, people need to know that, by the way, that you responded, that you were famous for that to every MySpace, sure. mo- like, and whatever and I, it was. And I still do. And I still read them, and it's still important to me because what happens now is I get people saying, this is the 10th time I've seen you over 20 years, and this is my favorite show. Man. Because I deal with anxiety, or I had a weird situation with a stalker, or wow, when you shared that story about uh, failing on stage and crying and telling yourself you suck and you should quit, you know, people love to hear that because it makes them go, oh, we're not as different as I thought. The guy that I saw on TV in the, or in Vicious Circle, and he started just like I did. And I did. I'm a, I'm a welfare kid from outside of Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a kid from food stamps and free lunch tickets and humiliation and a mom that had rheumatoid arthritis and was fucking vacuuming people's houses for 30 bucks to try to give me the life that I, to where we could stay in that hometown so I could take theater at Arlington High School and get brave. All that was given to me by a mom who had her own phobias and anxieties and so now what you're seeing is a complete person that can share all of those things and let you know or let the audience know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate, but the hard work got me here and a little bit of lady luck, but 
it's that thing of rolling up your sleeves and fucking digging in and going, I'm not taking no for an answer. In fact, I, in fact, I'm making no my my fuel. Wow. Make yeah. that a fucking T-shirt. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. It, sometimes I pull into a gas station <laughs> and they'll say premium or unleaded. I'll say, do you have any no? <laughs> they go, dude, this is not. <laughs> this, yeah. Our currency is in profound thoughts. Uh, people do forget that so quickly when they see someone who's has success like you have which is not a lot in our if you were to straight up look at it as stand-up comics like you're one of seven that's sold out madison square garden you know and, and we've talked about it on previous pods but just like everything that you've accomplished and are continuing to do people look at someone like you and they just go yeah of course like look at him crush look how charismatic Look how look, look he's good in movies. Like, of course. But it, but because you also don't parade around the fact of, like, you know, to post a picture of a of a, an old, uh, you know, movie poster and put hashtag food stamps. Like, because you know what I'm saying? Right. Which, by the way, there wouldn't be something totally entirely wrong about that to kind of also let people know, like, hey, just to let you know, I don't forget that this – it's not lost on me that this is all um, – pretty cool and letting you know that like didn't just get this handed to me definitely yeah. had to put in all the work but 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 even but another thing we're not even talking about it's not only did it not get handed to me in life it's more about people trying to take it away from you and that's the reality the harsh reality nobody that, tells you that nobody tells you that that most of it's life laid out like just go for it and when you get it enjoy it baby right that's that's probably written by somebody who's uh, whimsical and maybe hasn't fully uh you know, envelop themselves in what it means to go for your dreams and goals. Let's not let's not be um, let's be blunt. Going for those things and making those things come to fruition is a uh, it's an undertaking because it's more about people trying to take it from you. And I don't mean that I don't mean that like always like in a physical sense. I mean that it's a dog eat dog world, man. Yeah. And it's definitely that as well in in this business. Everybody wants those few spots of like who's on the cover of the magazine, who's who's popular now. So that was for me the the most um, the most uh, unexpected factor of this whole industry and, and and of going for your goals. There's more obstacles and there's more people that are trying to run and gun and uh, pull something away from you yeah. than there is uh, people trying to impart something or truly invest something in you. That's hard to find. When you do find it, you got to work hard to keep that in your circle. You've told me about your acting teacher, and I don't think we've talked about him on the podcast, but I want you to like, yeah. tell me what you've told me before, but now for the audience about, because I think it's, uh, again, you talk about your mom and your pops being like champions and being supportive and your, and your sisters, but like there has to be, somebody outside of that that is kind of unbiased that gets to know you early on like you know from a class you know a, a teacher or um a, a friend's parent somebody that just isn't right. that, that has to get to know you kind of quickly through um through a contained environment and this was your drama teacher yes and you took drama always knowing you wanted to, to do it yeah right i thought that by taking some drama classes in high school it would Break prepare you me shell, for stand up. Right? Yeah, because I knew because I'd already known I was going to do stand up. I told your mom when, uh, like eighth or ninth grade. I was like, I'm gonna, I'll graduate. Uh, I didn't like school, 
I like journalism, I like creative writing, and I like drama. Everything else I was not... Uh, How would you get through the classes? Uh, daydreaming. I always... I'm, uh, Having the last name Cook, I was always in the first aisle, the C, you know, A, B, C, and I would, the first aisle was always next to the window. I probably stared out win more windows than at teachers or at, at chalkboards. Um, but in journalism, creative writing, and drama, I, I was fascinated because I was surrounded by people that were very confident, and I still didn't have that. So I enjoyed those classes, and I said I would finish high school because I knew that I was getting something from those things. What I didn't know is I was going to meet somebody, Frank Roberts, my mentor and, and, and friend in, uh, you know, as the years followed, who would teach me more about life right now than even what I needed to know back then. Did, uh, did he kind of uh, exude that quality right out, out of the gate? Like he first did. conversation, did he, I think you even told me something he said to you about that he usually was like just real perceptive, and I think that's he did. So the job of a drama Thir teacher. Thirty years uh, teaching at Arlington High School. Prior to that, he had done uh, you know theater and off Broadway, and had a pretty good career for himself. Which, by the way, that helps because there are some times I remember finding out a drama teacher I had in eighth grade that like did one production of the Vagina Monologues and was yeah. like, now I'm qualified to with, teach it with uh, sock puppets. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even yeah. <laughs> And it was like it looked more like a penis the puppet did than an actual <laughs> vagina. So you're like, I can't even buy what this you know. right a person who probably had more wonder than experience. Yes. Um, so it, it does it does help to know yeah, that going in, right? Fra Frank, you know, had come in to teach drama, and and I guess at the at the core of who he was was a guy that wanted to find his own success in, in, outside of being a drama teacher. And he lacked certain fundamentals, and the biggest thing he lacked was confidence. And so when I met Frank day one, in day one of drama, and we had to do this thing in front of the class where we introduced ourselves and did kind of like a little skit that he prepared. He told us, we're going to go up, take a half hour, think about what you want to do. And I put this whole thing together, a presentation for myself. First time actually being on stage in front of other kids, like 15 kids in the class. And he came up to me, the only kid he came up to after class, and he said, you know, I just want to you know, chat with you for a minute. Sat down with me, and he said, you know, I see a lot of fear in you, but I also saw something happen from the kid sitting here to who stepped on the stage. I saw a light switch, and I saw something that I rarely see. Now, keep in mind, I'm sitting there going, is this guy setting me up to molest me? <laughs> Am I being groomed to, to get my shit batted around yeah. a little bit by this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. what. I've never had yeah. anybody say... This, I see something in you. This I sounded like magic spells. <laughs> I didn't know anything yeah. remotely like this outside of my own family saying, you know, you're, you're also, good. You're good. Yeah, you're also not privy to a molester's opening monologue. So I'd never met a molester at that point. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, I didn't you know if this factored in. <laughs> After him, I met many molesters. And they were much more brash. Uh, usually they just went right for the pants. Yeah. There was not even really any kind of preamble or, or, or chit-chat. <laughs> no. I don't think molesters are big on preamble these days. <laughs> Frank, um, Frank, right away, uh, he recognized something in me that he had told me right in that conversation. He said, I, la I lacked a lot of these things that I see that right away you're lacking. And he took an interest in me. And pretty much right after that, uh, he started kind of uh, trusting me with information in terms of like f theater and in what being a thespian really meant, both on 
and off the stage and like I said fundamentals and things that you needed to be able to create a character that were much like therapy things yeah. that I've still learned as an adult that you need to be be present be real be honest with yourself stuff that goes into great performance now he was talking to me about when I was 17 looking back in hindsight was it a big switch like do you remember like how you were off stage to when you got on like could you feel it so when he called it out you were like yeah I do feel more alive when I get on stage the first and, and free I'll share something I've never I don't think I've ever said out loud no we're good think- save it for the next one this has been Dan Cook on the go for it I rolled with it too. You did. I was so ready. I was like going to harmonize with you on that. I thought we were about to break into some kind of you know beautiful joyous melody. No, please. Um, I forgot because you interrupted. So no, anyway, you- next question. <laughs> uh, you said he was going to. He told you something that. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself back there right now, and. Um, Unexpectedly, getting a, a little bit emotional. I miss Frank. He 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 passed away a couple of years after my parents. But the thing that happened was he uh, said after my first performance in the class of a small scene, came up, put his hand on my shoulder. He said, "I'm very proud of you. You did a great job today." I'd never heard that from anybody. Uh, a man. I don't think my dad at that point had even understood what it was to be proud of me and say that. No way. I'm getting a little emotional right now. Um, and I went home and I, I cried. I, I, I went home and I, uh, I cried, not for the first time, not an anxiety or a scared of the world cry, which I had done quite a bit um, as a kid dealing with um, self-esteem issues. I cried because I felt like a little love for myself. And um, it was, uh, I, I needed more of that. I got some goosebumps going right here. To be on- honest, Adam, I think it was the day that probably changed uh I think I was on a dark path in my life, and I think I felt like I was being enveloped by some thoughts that were maybe not uh, of a person uh, who wasn't important in the world and uh, maybe didn't have a place. And that was the first board of a platform of a foundation that would be the rest of my life was laying that down. It was really wonderful. It was a gift, man. I, I love Frank Roberts. He would be upset if I was calling him Frank Roberts. He used to always insist, call me Frank. I'm your friend. I'm not your teacher anymore. But he's my teacher and he is my friend and gave a lot to me that day. And then many, many days after that, years after that. I didn't know. I mean, I mean, you've spoken uh, you know, about how you didn't like school and being an introvert, right? Yeah. And how – so I think – that's really huge for you to say and for people to recognize how important it is to have somebody like that go out of their way to to recognize something in somebody that you know maybe you did have like moments of of feeling uh like that might be something that you could do but like until somebody like that that really looks you in the eyes and makes it a, a known thing and and is um i mean like you said like i i didn't know you know that that you hadn't even heard that from your pops, really. Yeah. In, I didn't hear that from my dad until I was maybe around twenty six or twenty seven. That we could have a conversation that he really understood that I was finding success uh, in life, and that was wonderful. That was an amazing day as well. But prior to that, I didn't have a, I didn't have a man who could be sensitive and treat me with that kind of professional professional uh, respect. 
you know, treated me like a, um, like a, like a performer who is learning the ropes. Treated me like when you see those boxing movies of like it's the kid's first day in the gym and the co, you know, the corner man goes like, uh, "I'm gonna teach you how to take hits today," and, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Like that's what he was to me, you know, in my formative years. So it was great you, to you trusted able- him to like do like once he, once someone I think recognizes something special in you that you. You know, then innately start to discover, oh, yeah, I do dig this. And like you said, like, love cried because you, what was it, finding some self-love? Yes. I didn't feel, I was, um, I was of no value. I didn't feel like I had value. Now, granted, I had a mom that loved me deeply. And she, every day, was instilling love and belief and championing me. But I didn't still have it. For my, I almost couldn't understand the language she was speaking of. Why do you love me so much? The rest of the world that maybe you're not seeing is is not very fair to me and, and not very caring or, or in any way kind of um, inclusive the way I saw with other kids in groups. And so this was, a, this was a moment where I finally felt value. And now what I've learned, I'm 47, it took many, many years to finally realize some of the greatest people I know have had to start from you know, zero dollars and zero value because when you really earn those things over the years through self-exploration, then I think that's what actually is the secret sauce of making you relatable and something that people look up to. It gives you the sparkle that you need because ultimately we all want to feel valued. Today's episode of the About Last Night podcast is brought to you by Koi CBD. Ooh, CBD oil, baby. Feeling relaxed just hearing me talk about it, aren't you? If you don't know what CBD oil is, don't feel like a dum-dum. Adam's here to tell you. CBD is an oil derived from industrial hemp and has no psychoactive effects, man. So you can get the medical benefits, okay, from the hemp plant without getting high. There's no weed. You're not going to get paranoid. It's a great natural alternative to over-the-counter and pharmaceutical drugs. People use CBD oil uh, for pain, depression, anxiety, stress, inflammation. Uh, New benefits are being discovered for CBD oil all the time. My mom uses the topical cream from Koi CBD, and uh, it's helped immensely, uh, which is big time because she's been having a a tough time with arthritis and finding uh, a solution. And Koi CBD is stepping up to the plate with their topical creams. They've got uh, uh, tincture uh, droplets, uh, vape pens, edibles, pet products for your uh, for your dogs and cats to, ch- to chill out. Come on. It's a stressful life being a cat and a dog. You want to chill out? Get some Koi CBD treats. They got topical products and more. All their products are manufactured in the USA with 100% natural CBD oil. It's a family-owned and operated company, and it truly is the best-tasting CBD products on the market. I feel like left and right, uh, people are approaching me after shows uh, just being in the comedy business because comedy and and, uh, you know, CBD kind of go hand in hand. Uh, it's great stress reliever for our world. Uh, the Koi CBD gummies I fuck with daily because uh, it puts me in a Zen state before I start my day. And at night kind of relaxes me and, and helps me sleep better, quite honestly. It's America's number one trusted CBD brand. All the Koi CBD products are THC free. Uh, and there's a guaranteed purity, safety and consistency level in all of their products. They're the best tasting CBD products on the market. Again, I've tried so many. Um, the amount of people that have you know been like, try these pens, we got these flavors and these, you know, you can put, it's strawberry 
hey, root your foot. It's like, shut, shut up, man. No, I'm going with Koi CBD because they got the most shit and the best tasting shit. And quite honestly, um, it's made me feel the best at any of the products I've tried. And that's why they're America's number one trusted CBD brand. So if you want to get your stress relief on, your relaxation going, and start living a better, healthier life, get rid of that depression, anxiety, stress, and just start feeling better, then, uh, then, then get hooked up with Koi CBD, okay? Head on over right now to KoiCBD.com. That's K-O-I-C-B-D.com and enter promo code about last night for 20% off any retail order from the website. That's Koi, K-O-I-C-B-D.com, uh, promo code about last night for 20% off any retail order from the website. Gummies, tinctures, pens, creams, they got it all. I'm telling you, they're the shit. And, uh, and Brad and I couldn't love him more. Who knows? They might fucking make Brad grow, which would ruin his act, but, but uh, would help him reach the Cocoa Puffs on the top shelf. And when you earn that value, you kind of, it emulates yeah, from man. you. So I'm glad now. I, don't, I wouldn't change a damn thing. It's crazy, too, that like, and you know, it, it makes my chest tight to think about like you having that much like, just you know doubt in the world and yourself and also a consistent thing for a lot of kids whether it's elementary school i mean you know when i was you know in my biggest fat stages i mean you know truly you know a feeling of of uh of uh law being lost and alone i didn't even know it was possible and even looking back and you know you get it as a career the ups and downs you get like moments of that but you're an adult you're a little more thick skin to handle it but like looking back i was like I can't even believe that I felt those things at that age. And even yeah. in high school when you're still kind of young and throwing caution to the wind and whatever to, to know that those types of um, emotions are like possible. Right. Were you comparing yourself to other, and let me know if I'm harping on this too much or talking about yeah, it, but I no. think it's, but like when you're feeling like this and, and, you know, were you just comparing to other groups, which I think is what you do in high school or seeing, is it not feeling accepted in a certain spot? that created that or because you had buds right well i did i had a couple of like singular friends you know what i mean i had like another kid who maybe also kind of felt like the outcast right. or so there were there was a couple of people that until i got into high school and then i really became close with uh al dalbeni yeah was like my first friend and i went on to have uh you know, an amazing early, especially early career with him and then throughout you know just kind of he's been a constant throughout my life but, uh, yeah, a first real friend maybe when I finally was in around 10th grade to understand what it was to have, you know, loyalty and friendship. Yeah. And it was brick by brick, man. You know, it, it, took a, it took a while for me after high school to finally really trust people and feel like I had a, I don't know, my, 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 my place in this world, you know, if that makes any sense. It does. It's insane, too, to know that you felt that way and then to break out of it and then to sh- like take your gift and then you like to have that feeling it's a complete polar opposites to feel that way and now you're making people feel like so so good like right. millions like that's truly the uh, best the greatest you know because it was like you get to make people laugh that was always an escape from my family during hardship so that comes back to like home stuff and then it's like I get to feel you know, my self-worth because I've worked really... That's the thing is people don't realize, like, we work really hard to get that act to a place where it looks like it's effortless. Yeah. 
And so there's a lot of pride that comes with that, you know. And, you know, every couple of years you start over with a whole new chunk of material. And we have to go through that same, you know, that same process. Does it get easier? Because you obviously, this will be now, when you lay another one down, be special number six. I don't know. Six, yeah, five? A bunch. Yeah. Does does your... I'm actually fascinated by this. It because doesn't get easier because you're, if you're doing it right, you're like putting something else in front of yourself that's going to be like, ah, okay, how do I translate that? Whether it's a feeling or whether it's... Or even just like being 47 and knowing like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm growing older. I talk about it in my act. Like, yeah. I'm changing. Uh, you know... Being self-effacing, self-deprecating, taking the piss out of yourself. Well, I couldn't do that when I was 28. And pissing fucking, yourself, yeah. yeah. Literally pissing myself now. <laughs> like That'll probably be in 30 more years. I'll be like wearing diapers and I'll make it funny, man. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just owning the whole journey and being able to observe and report. I, I, I've been saying that a lot lately, but that's our, that's our goal, right, as comics. As we change, not trying to hold on to something we were, celebrate it. But talk about where you're at now. Do you feel like your um, your comfort level on stage has coming up on 30 years? I don't want to s- sleep on that fact. Is I tell this to people all the time when they're like, "Dude, what's it like? Like, how's Dane? Like, I can't wait to see the show." I'm like, "Dude, it's crazy to me to be 30 years in at this, to do everything you've done, and to still be performing at this level. I I, I truly don't. It's it's overwhelming, kind of, to think about." And well, it's, prob- it's so second nature to you, and you're just like, yeah, what, what's the alternative? But here's why it's not overwhelming to me. When I came up in Boston, a lot of the guys that were ahead of me that were crushing, like still to this day, the, some of the best of the best performance-wise, they were all older guys. Some of them looked like they were fucking 70 already when I started, but they were just like imbibing in a lot of uh, – you know, offstage activities yeah. that maybe weren't like uh, the healthiest. Yeah. Those guys wouldn't have been podcasting back in, you know, 87. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, I always came up looking at guys like, I'm trying to think like, you know, whether I was watching guys like Newhart or whether I was watching, uh, you know, uh, seeing like uh, a Joan Rivers or um, or Milton Burles. Did you watch much Jerry Carson? Lewis. I was always watching... All kinds of comics, not just contemporaries, and realizing, oh, this thing goes till you're fucking 90. This isn't just about the special that you do now and making that, like, live on forever. How can I, you know, rinse and repeat? What you really notice, and in, in Carlin probably more than anybody, I watched this guy age as I was getting older. He seemed to age. very. For me, it was like... Okay, when I'm in ninth grade watching Carlin to when I graduated, it was like, did he go from 55 to like 78? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happened? Yeah. But I loved him, and I loved that I was watching him go through, uh, you know, cantankerous, and then being, uh, you know, even sillier, sometimes being even more vulgar and dirty yeah. and outside the box, even s- sillier, and then being older and being a bit more cynical, sometimes just being like... Uh, uh, you know, off the beaten trail of traditional comedy for what I thought Carlin was doing things that were just like rhyming words and just stuff that was maybe just interesting to him that right. he was watching that over maybe a 20 year period. It was already teaching me the lessons, the master class of don't walk into anything with this. Always keep it exciting. Always be learning. Always be showing the best of what you are coupled with something that you just discovered. 
a new a new trick with an old trick. If you could be doing that during an hour and a half performance, what they're what they're getting from you, what the tingle they're getting is seeing somebody so fucking seasoned, but somebody brand new. Whoa, dude! If you can get to that place, that's where I'm at, man. I'm not gonna bullshit. I I, I own a lot about myself, and I think. In these podcasts, I've probably danced around it sometimes because if you don't ask me a direct question, I'm not going to always give you like the, the the full answer. Yeah. But the truth is, I'm at the best place in my game ever. I I know where for I know where I stand outside of what any list tells me. I don't need a list. I don't need an award. Oh yeah. I basically haven't gotten those things, and I like that because I like not being expected of like. Even in the credits, you always give me such a great intro. Your intro is, you, first of all, you kill. Let me just fucking like say it like it is right Thanks. here. You've been having amazing sets. I've worked with you now for a number of years in like high-pressure situations. You deliver. Thanks, man. You deliver. You leave them in a place that's like, okay, nobody's just going to walk out there and think they can saunter into their performance. I got to go. Some Rolling Stone shit, right? <laughs> they only put the best before them before they perform, so they have to come out and like right. start it in gear four. But you always give me an intro that's like, you know, you come up and you, you go through the, the list of stuff. Yeah. And it's Which always, I was telling you the other night, I go, is, is you know, you've, ear, you've earned that. And it's, you, it's also a quick retrospective for the audience, a majority that are there for that. And even the You know what it tells me, though? Everybody's hearing that, but I'm hearing one thing different from everybody else. What haven't I done? <laughs> that's what I'm, wow. I'm hearing those ingredients and I'm going I'm hearing it and I'm ready to walk out on stage but I'm pretty lucid now I'm not, I'm not like ahead of myself or behind myself yeah I'm in the moment and in that moment you know what I'm saying I'm like what having you showed him what what are you not completing that you're gonna try tonight Wow and on any given night even though yeah some of it is set material and we know we got to get from A to B to C yeah and and that's to be expected. People are paying a hard-earned dollar. Are you going to give them the show? It's always different, though. I got to find something. I got to find something in there that isn't in vicious circle or retaliation or isolated incident. I'm, I, you're, you're saying those words, and I'm going, what the fuck else? What am I going to give them tonight that's not of any of those things? Oh, I thought you were saying, like, what else? Like, hey, man, you missed a movie. <laughs> that being said, you actually uh, <laughs> you are skipping a couple of high-water mark accomplishments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do, is there something do you ever when, when I see you like and you're great about it sharing people that are like you know rewatching Vicious Circle rewatching uh, Isolated Incident uh, there's a two part question and I'll ask the first part first I'll make it a four part answer watch this <laughs> look at me making it difficult <laughs> is there something that you when you rewatch because I'm sure when they tag you in like rewatching a moment from Vicious Circle uh, or Rough Around the Edges that you watch that and you get taken back to that time, right? It's yeah. impossible not to. I want to know what are the things for each of those specials that pops up your first like memory of it, whether yeah. it's the whole overall making of like, you know, uh, uh, I know that you said, um, uh, uh, I think it was ice isolated incident was all improvised. No, a lot of rough around the edges. That's right. Yeah. It was like a 50, 50 split. So for each one, what comes up? Yeah. I mean, when, when people post those, yeah. I will tell you that I'm never embarrassed outside of like making fun of like a hairstyle that yeah. might be a little bit of, you know, off kilter or clothing that, you know, times change. I, 
I, I've never looked at any performance that I've put out there in the world without um, I see it like this man this is what this is I just want to be really just so people aren't going like oh he loves everything no no it's not like that I see the things I'm lacking even when I look back but I'm proud that the things that I was good at at those periods I fucking hit, hit. yeah so when I'm look it, I, I guess you could say like you know like when you watch a retrospective of you know, you might be watching something about like, you know, uh, uh, auto racers, and they go like, "We built five cars that came in last place." Yeah. And it wasn't until we finally, you know, took that engine apart, and then we realized, you know what, we had all the pieces, but we needed this cylinder, or we needed. I look back now, and I go, "Oh, I can see like how I was getting better," and I could see the places that like I was just on the, you know, on the edge of my seat and kind of winging it. And I can see the things, the happy accidents that worked in my favor. So, yeah, when people are posting those clips, I... You're I, thinking of both ends of the spectrum, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can enjoy... I'm not, I don't cringe outside of, like, the occasional, like, oh, my God, look at that fucking leather jacket that's, like, so heavy. I'm probably sweating a premium blend or something. Yeah. But I can still look at it and go, for 1998, I was pretty good. And I was where I should have been in 98. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's also such a you know insane idea to look back at something 10 years ago and go god i can't believe i did that joke because just, it's like just understand it from this as as a friend and as you know holding a mic in my hand to try to you know meet in the middle of like just a, if we were wrapping off pod dude all my worst feelings about myself were when i was young all my worst inner failures all my um def- most defeatist attitude was all those you know years as a kid anything i did once i step on a stage when you ask me what do you think when you feel that i'm like i'm not dead i'm a kid who's alive and doing it i had a purpose and a belief and even though it it was only 10 years in or 15 years in or 22 years in it's all like dude i did it yeah and i'm still doing it at a at a high caliber and I'm getting to introduce myself to brand new fans and making the old ones go, didn't didn't know I could like it any more than I did. It's crazy. So I think you're only going to look back at something that you did in 2002 and maybe feel unsure about it if you're unsure about where you're at now. I want to know, coming up on 30 years, take me, uh, first of all, is it more fun? Is that like a stupid question? Is it more fun today? More fun. Yeah, because it's more fun uh, triangulating my professional life, my personal life, and my my business offstage life. All of those things are at like a um, a more relaxed and, and more uh, present place. And also, I think it does help to be, and we talked about this too off mic a little bit about, you know, uh, both of our acts kind of being this like, like it's, we're not trying to change the world, get too political do uh, hit topics that are, you know, that that some comics do brilliantly and go after right. and really kind of can, can, yeah. can make polarizing, it polarizing, be divisive. You and I both are like, we're gonna have as much fun uh, on stage. Have you uh, enjoy it? Right. Uh, be upbeat, silly. You right. know, yeah. Have some some things that make you think. Like even all your stuff with, which you know, I think you are truly the best at depicting a uh, a, a relationship like moment between whether it's the fights you saw at the grocery store you know and and the ones that you're doing now which right. I can't wait for people to see 
Like that stuff is so raw and real and silly with some of the act outs, but still so poignant. Right. And uh, for what is like the breakdown and the differences between uh, uh, a guy and a girl in a relationship. So it's not like, again, a polarizing topic, but it's still something that's very yeah. relatable. Some people will come to me sometimes and go, <clears throat> why does why do you do relationships? Why does Gaffigan still do food stuff when it was? Why does Whitney Cummings do? And you go because always. there's always a new couple yeah. that are experiencing it for the first yeah. time. And you're talking about it from a place like your your stories that you're talking about now. Like you're not you didn't do this bit eight years ago. Yeah, eight years of time to see it all right. differently. Right. Right. As, yeah. I I would assume that as time goes on and like. Even in my own personal life and relationships, achieving other perspectives will influence even how those stories come down the line in years to come. But I just know this. There's a couple at the show every night that's either on their first date or celebrating a oh, yeah. second year or third year. You'll never go wrong by tapping into human condition stuff. Oh, I... And nothing better than love and... Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes going head-to-head. That's I, that's fodder right there. When I sit in the back uh, and watch the shows, it's some of the times I see people laugh the hardest because it's the couples together. It's so, for lack of a better word, special to see you talking about something that's so real and seeing them not looking at each other with some sort of, like, you know, passive, like, oh, yeah, you do do yeah. that. You, you make it weird. Well, it might be good. Sometimes love. they're doing that and then they're... It's opening a conversation that then offers them yeah. perspective. Yeah. You know, so sometimes you're you're giving people a little push. And, of course, when I did Troublemaker, I was, like, actually trying to pull people apart in the sense of not make people break up for the sake of breaking up. It was like, let me put out some harsh truths so that certain people will be like, yeah, you know what? Let's not waste time here. We are not right for each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, that that's always going to be, for me, food for thought. Who am I in a relationship and how do I see the world and in relationships and also to kind of put a, a you know finality on that part of the conversation it's like i i think that political comedy very important always very critical to have some people who can uh, vamp on really what's what's the state of you know the the world that we live in yeah. but i want to see people who are at the highest caliber and the best at that doing that that's not my forte I would never put that on and go, just because I can be on stage, I'm the guy that should be pontificating about that. I love watching comics like that. Some of my favorite shows, like watching a real time or John Oliver yeah. or, you know, Colbert. Yeah. Man, the people that are great at political humor, you know, should be doing it. Uh, but for me, that's not my lane. Do you feel like you put on a new set of comedy goggles, it's safe to say, every 10 years? Like on just how you see. I wouldn't say I put a, there a time limit on it. I think that I'm just there's always going to be a part of me that's um, astonished by the way the world acts and reacts, and that might be still kind of like just the boyishness and the wonderment in me. And I hope that never goes away, because that that's what makes me want to observe and report and get up there and keep playing around with it. You know, were you always able? Because in your depiction of relationships, that was one thing when I first heard "Harmful of Swallowed." And then retaliation, where I think is that where the grocery store fight is on retaliation yeah, with the jelly. So. Yes, get yes. the jelly twat. To me, I was like, I mean, to a T. A the whole picture was painted, which I was, 
you know, that was one of the early things I grasped, when I'm sure many people did grasp onto, was like, wow, I'm listening to this and I see everything. Sure. Um, which I know you pride yourself in, you know, painting the picture and letting people so Because yeah. guess what? The more you can see it, the more you can understand it, the more yeah. you can get Richard, on board. Richard Pryor, you know, more than anybody. Like, I felt like I could close my eyes and see everything that that guy was, uh, was putting in front of us. Were you always able to have a strong uh, sense of wherewithal and... Uh, and just be that observant, like to truly hear or see and then go, oh, I know how to um, give this to, to everybody. I was always pretty good at absorbing absorbing behaviors. And even though I was pretty good at impersonating people, I was really good at finding your little tics yeah. and physicalities and um, in tones as opposed to just straight up like, uh, you know, impersonations yeah. or impressions so yeah i feel like um i was always pretty good at uh i would watch sometimes my mom and dad would get in these weird fights and then when everything was settled down i could act out how they both behaved behavioral stuff i was always really interested in that and then they would laugh at themselves so the fact that they could laugh at themselves through behavior that wasn't maybe necessarily like grown up at the time was information that i needed later for comedy People like to laugh at themselves. We like to go, oh, my God, I did do that, didn't I? Yeah. I did do that. I did say that. People like when it's about them. So when you can put more of that and inject that into your comedy, and, and, and I said that a lot in Troublemaker, yeah, you're laughing because this is you. Yeah. I think I said that. Yeah. I was almost going to call that special something like, this is you. This is us or this is you yeah. or because I was you know, blatantly saying it like, you're doing this. I'm just showing le- showing you what you do openly. I think comics are some of the best people at laughing at themselves, and there's no better example than your recent appear- uh, appearance on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, in which... Starring Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not with. In which you... <laughs> Starring. That was probably a conscious move. Why not? Right? Of course. Yeah. That would have been my first move, too. I would yeah. have gone, like, oh, all right, I'm here. Yeah, this with, is like, no, that sounds yeah. like you just... It's not like I'm with the show. Yeah. I'm, you know, he's at the helm of that show. Uh, you came, you were telling me when we were backstage at, at The Tonight Show, which was awesome. You crushed. What was extra cool about it? Yeah, I don't know how you got in, but anyway. <laughs> Adam just floats backstage. I said I knew hey, Dave. Hey, man. <laughs> I said I know Dave. They go, Dane? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, who, is that who's on? No, of course. I, I was psyched that you were there, and we talked about you coming cool, back right? to New York with me. I've only done couch and stand up were you doing by the way were you doing that thing where you were like if dane falls and breaks his leg five minutes before <laughs> i'm gonna be ready i'm waiting they, they might go if only we had a comic we need someone to fill the space did you do that can i be on <laughs> can i be honest i did think i didn't know if there was going to be a musical guest or comedian i didn't know the panel layout okay so a small piece of me did think that's right not You're, not filling for I you but it. but it but but if maybe. they have somebody slated at the end, and the musician and the band is late, or or the comic something happens, and they have to cut, that let me tell you that, something. Yeah, that I go. No. I started thinking about my five, and I, I knew it. I, we've never talked about it, and I knew it. I knew it. But not to take your shit. No. Uh, the, yeah. But maybe no. You're ready for anything. Is that fucked up, dude? No. I walked into that building going, if Jimmy fucking fainted three minutes before. I would be ready. I was already thinking to how, jump behind the uh, desk. I would already go and pull me out. I'm hey, listen. If Questlove can't do it, like or you know Steve Higgins can't, like tell me, I'm good. I I'm I still think that. Wow, dude. Any situation 
any charity event, anything that I've ever walked into, I'd be lying if I didn't say there wasn't a moment where I thought, if they need me, am I ready? And I should be ready for anything. And even even doing that, if they say, Jimmy just threw up and uh, something ha- he's stuck in trouble, he can't be here. Can you do the show? <laughs> it always goes through my mind. And I always prepare myself to be ready for that. Wow. Yeah. It's, I've never not done that. And I knew that you did that. <laughs> I knew that you had five minutes ready yeah. just in case. Oh, yeah, dude. Dane got food poisoning. <laughs> we need somebody to go out there. Fuck, dude. You never know, man. You, you, you never know. It's a, fun, it's a funny, weird, uh, you know, it's a, it's a wild business. And the, it's, a, it's a truly a business of uncertainty and flimsiness yeah. to where it's not, it's not impossible, too. And, it, and, and, and right yeah, place, right time. It's not impossible, and it has happened to where somebody has had to fill in for somebody last minute, and they go, hey, we ran upstairs and got somebody from SNL to come down. Now, realistically, yeah. they'd probably go up and get uh, yeah. you know, Colin Jost or somebody like that. Yeah, and but maybe somebody's locked the door and Jost can't get out. You never know. And, and you know what? I think the same thing. I'm like, if they need me, I hope I can come through. I'm ready. Do you think about that in line at Chipotle? You're like, if this guy faints making my burrito... Can I hop over and finish it? Not only do I think about it, I've got a name tag already in my pocket. <laughs> With a nickname? <laughs> With a nickname. Like, Dane, like, come aboard Dane the Burrito Train? Yeah. Hello, my name is Sal Manila. <laughs> That's a little joke. You guys want chicken or beef? <laughs> uh, that was really awesome for uh, thanks, many man. reasons. Thank it's you. the fucking Tonight Show. Yeah. Uh, but again, the first guest, um, what was her name again from 12 Years a Slave? and uh, uh, Lupita Drongo. Yeah. Oscar winner. Amazing. But there, there was a shift in energy when someone comes out with, A, your energy. B, it was, and I saw Jimmy's guard drop immediately. You guys have a little bit of a history. You said you guys were both kind of coming up more yeah. or less at the same sure. time. Didn't really ever be on the same show or oh, kick we, it a, Oh, okay. we were. Yeah, we were definitely on on lineups. Right. But in terms of just like um, being booked on like co-headlining right. things or feature and headline, that I didn't. We never really were paired up. Right. You know, but probably because we were very similar yeah. as well at that time. Uh, and you said colleges too, like you guys. Yeah. Because people forget that you crushed so hard in the college circuit that kind of bypassed doing clubs and went right to theaters, arenas, right? That's kind of more or less how it worked. It was a bit of a conscious effort on my part, coupled with having some major anxiety to go, I don't want to go anywhere where I don't feel completely welcome to come in and, and perform. And so a little, a little bit of both. I like being in New England, staying close to home, and, and I could do those colleges and I was getting better. And in my mind, I'm like, why at this point go to Wisconsin no one knows me. I'm terrified. There'll probably be nobody there. That's not going to bode very well for me in terms of like wow. when, when club owners talk. I'm just going to wait and build where I am until I'm undeniable where I am. And that's really the key. Always make your cup floweth over where you are until whatever comes out of it seeps somewhere else. And people are going, please come here. Please. Please. Whoa, dude. Yeah. You just made me think about canceling my entire... 2020 calendar again would i have done that if i was a super confident 22 year old i might have been in wisconsin but i was anxious and i wasn't as good as maybe what i was hoping i would be at that point so there's jimmy and i new england kids just 
passing each other in the night going gig to gig. I'd always see his headshots up at places. Yeah. And he was either coming in the week before or the week after me. It was crazy for a lot of years. Do you, um, do you think there's something with comics? And I think you guys, again, there was a shift in the energy. His guard dropped. He felt like... And mine too, by the way. Yeah? Uh, yeah, like I didn't have a guard, but my... Um, the, the feeling of being, uh, you know, wanted. And is, when we do stand-up, we provide that feeling. We're alone. Yeah. When you're on a talk show, I've looked into, I'm not going to say names, but I've looked into people's eyes where you're like, there's a lot of things on this person's mind. My, my guest appearance may not be the most important thing to them. And you kind of feel it. You're just a part of the show. Right. As opposed to, Jimmy made me feel immediately like, we're just going to rap here, man. This is going to be like... This is going to be like sitting at a table at the comedy cellar or something. Not every comic can do that. No. You know, there is a, I think it's another acquired skill set along with everything else that we do to be that, don't you think? Like to be that comfortable with just oh, even, yeah. even a one-on-one or a three people at a table and share the wealth, chime in, listen, don't want to be the one, only one talking. Right. But you and Jimmy had, man, a back and forth that... I mean, it was, I think, slated for six minutes. It felt like 15 because, and I told you this right when you got off, I was like, dude, you packed in so many jokes, so many moments. You completely improvised uh, your opening, which was a callback to something that had happened moments prior. Right. And again, the timing of it was so, it was a game that, that Lupita and Jimmy had played, and yep. you kind of referenced that. And then you did this whole physical act out, which apparently you thought of the morning of. That's right. Which... To me, I would be, and again, you know, you know, you're in a place to where way more established than me to maybe feel like that should give you the chutzpah to roll the dice and do that. But also, you said I don't think you hadn't been on the show for a few years. Five years. So maybe there should be some trepidation to go, well, I don't want to completely ruffle feathers. But you did anyway. You trust your instincts. It crushed. Jimmy commented on uh, to you about it later uh, through DMs, you said. Yeah. Like, where do you, was there, does that uh, part of the uh, repertoire get stronger or do you have to like, you know, uh, practice it for it to get that way? Yeah, I think uh, at a certain, at a certain part of our careers, what you're looking for and what you're hoping is there's no frills and I'm going to be received and accepted for what I am. And I think when we watch guys like Will Ferrell or Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Uh, I think there's an understanding of what they bring to the table. And part of what they do is say what they want when they want. And they're not afraid really of how that lands. Not everything has to always be so polished because personality goes a lot further than the perfect joke. The perfect joke coupled with personality is the is the secret. Yeah. Now, you don't even have to have the perfect joke. You can have a decent joke. But if you've got great personality, great rapport, that that um, that upticks it. So you know, we're, there's a lot of moving parts. With when you go onto a show like that, you go, I'm going to take the lean back approach, and I'm just going to stick to my formula. Or you go, Am I going to be fancy free, and am I going to just let more personality come? And then if we get to the bits, we get to the bit. And I like to be in a place where I could either lean in. Lean back. And how do you know which one to do? You know in the instant that you sit down on that couch with the person and you look into their eyes and you go, okay, Jimmy's Jimmy's present game. Yeah. and he's game. And then you go with it. 
You know, it takes, and that's just seasoning, man. That's after years and years and years. You've done a lot of, even though you hadn't done a couch for five years, you still, I mean, as soon as you were there and the whole. Well, I'd done couch Kimmel. Right, right, right. I did Kimmel uh, last that's year. Right, that's right, yeah. So, yeah, there was other places that I still felt like I was uh, a little more well-oiled. But, no, I wanted to be able to go out and hang with Jimmy and I wanted to be able to, for you know, for him, you always want to deliver. You know, it's his show. He wants to, you know, be able to go home every night and go. Everybody that I had on came with their prepared and made me look good. And, and by the way, you know, that's not an easy job to be able to sit back sometimes when you're with fellow comics and go, I'm going to serve some things up to you. Totally, dude. So, and he, you know, to be able to do that for me, dude, it was just respect. It was like a respect fest. Even looking over Quest Love, I've known him for a lot of years. And even we're not close, you know close close buddies but the the respect of knowing people for that period of time yeah and to look over and give it up to the roots and like all that stuff is in the air while you're performing a respect and a and a um setting each other up for success i like to participate in that yeah it was um it was pretty pretty awesome to see a guy that is so i guess you could say polished just with his monologue and everything that kind of seems monotonous with doing the show see him be a completely different host in that moment because again like there's not comics on doing the couch a lot and that is what he started in and i feel like what he truly the same way when you know sandler going back and and judd getting back like i mean i think sandler more than judd truly was doing it for a while right before he popped but you could tell that that's in jimmy which was really cool for me to see like oh he's vibing out and 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 geeking out on this conversation more than he normally does because again there's like this brotherhood sisterhood humanhood of yeah uh, of the of the comedy grind that it was just like you know what i'm saying right. i mean you felt it we, that's why the pictures I'm, were uh, i yeah. think re- well received because yeah. there was both of us showing like we're not kidding we were kids when we started this thing out together yeah you know that was very real for the audience too to see yeah by the way we should had you looked back at that headshot since then? It's not like you have it hanging in your uh, no, office, I, right? I hadn't seen that particular headshot in 10 years. I actually forgot about it until I saw it. You had a vest, I think, with like big pot, like a real loose, like Massimo vest with yep. a tank top. Yep. And a mullet. What, uh, what came first, the tank top or the mullet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real. Did, your, did, your hair, did you go, what looks good with this hair? The tank top, because I actually have pictures of me when I was like three or four years old where I'm, wearing, I'm rocking the tank top. I wore it my whole life. So the, the fact that I wore that on my first special, the Comedy Central special, was really kind of interesting because it's like that was me since I was a baby. That was really more me than and that was a last bowling minute, shirt. Uh, call, right? Yeah. That was literally an hour before. And, and that was your mom's call, right? Yeah, because I didn't want to wear like what Comedy Central told me I should wear, I which wasn't me. I can't believe but, that that part of it even exists, where they were like, hey, cool, we hired you to do what you do, but we want to change what you are right before you do what you do, which yeah. is the, what we got you for. Right. Well, what you, what, the other part of this conversation, maybe for part two, is you know, behind the scenes, there's a lot of people that are in creative that are not creative and that's another part of the business you gotta you know understand and figure out how to traverse it's frustrating because there's a lot of people with very little ability to be creative making the creative decisions 
They just go by the formula or whatever their cheat sheet is or whatever's popular, who's got the buzz. Very, very dangerous time to, to be a comedy, comic with buzz. Very, very uh, scary time to, to be a comic with um, an overnight sensation because overnight sensation used to lead to, hey, maybe I can parlay this into a few years and get a few holding deals. Uh-uh. Antics and behavior are going to take you to a few clicks and then it's gonna the, those clicks are gonna stop as quickly as they started. Yeah, you're gonna see a lot of people over the next few years that are like uh, in for a very very rude awakening when they see that they're not um, they're not gonna get that same kind of uh, knee jerk reaction or what can we say now instead of knee jerk, um, you know, d- digit keyboard reaction. It's gonna be wild. People are on to the next thing. Is there anything that scares you now about stand-up? Or do you feel completely fearless? Do you allow for any sort of nerves? People ask me all the time, do you still get nervous? And I'm only 13 years in, but they go, do you still get nervous? And I go, I always allow for a little bit of, a little bit of something to seep in. Not where I go, oh, I might bomb. But, and that, that comes in knowing that I'm going to allow myself to be present and allow to stray off script. So I know that I'm going to do that. So that creeps in because then I go, right. oh, so I don't know how every moment right. I have a map. And, and can I just say so people really understand what, what this means when yeah. you and I are saying that? Because where we're very similar is well, um, we can be like tangent comics where we have a, a rigmarole that we want to blast through. Yeah. But we're also um, v- uh, very open to like an audience break to where new information can come in that then leads us into that piece of material. Yes. And I don't know if I'm sounding too heady, but basically it's like we're improvisational comedians that are also very well polished and want to hit you with our best shit when when it's uh, appropriate. We want to be in that, that middle spot. So that's basically what you're saying. Yeah. It's like people will go, but I saw you do that bit and you, you rat-tat-tatted it and then you go, yeah, but right after at the very end, I look down and go, you're laughing at that. Has that happened to you? And then we're going to take you on a three-minute journey with something we've never heard before. Yeah. That's where we want to live. So, yeah, that'll always be there a little bit of, um, uh, w- you know, wonder and, and not fear so much as like the what if. I like being on the cusp of the what if before I go on stage. I got my bag of tricks. I got my bits that I love right now because I've worked on them for a while and I'm ready to like share them with a new gang of people. Yeah. But I want to find something tonight too with everybody else. And I think that that's why I like having you on these shows. And as you go on in your career and you find your success in more headlining and then you'll be probably taking a guy out like you that's got that similar kind of mentality of like, hey, let's do something that's happening that's prepared, but it's also happening right now. Great space for us to be in. Yeah. We're going to kill it this weekend. Uh, one more thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nine inches. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Yay. <laughs> I do want to say being on this tour has been, uh, you know, a a whirlwind of, of just trying to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when's that Venmo coming? <laughs> when's that Venmo coming in? <laughs> I'm going to start wearing a shirt on stage that says that. So when I introduce you in turn and you point at me, I can just go <laughs> point at my chest and go, you go, God damn it, dude. Uh, getting to kick it is getting to hang out with comedians is um, is a very unique, uh, I don't know if privilege is the right word, but it's why 
you know, athletes want to hang out with comics. That's why a lot of my friends that work nine to fives always want to. Are we going out after the show? Are sure. we, you know what I'm saying? And uh, and getting to to kick it with you has been uh, almost cooler than the shows and the private jets, which people should know we are in the back of a, a Spirit Airlines flight. But look, <laughs> you can't win them all. It sounds like we're on a private jet. No, we're on a private jet. The private jet life is unreal, and I don't know how long you've been doing it, but it definitely, the accessibility, the um, the stress reliever that it takes sure. out to make the gig the most important thing, Yeah, I get it, dude. Yes. And I hope I can get to a place to make this a part of the routine because, man, it does. You know, I think you and I both, we're doing our thing regardless, but guess what? If you can find ways to uh, to make it even, uh, put the show up on, uh, you know, only a couple steps to get up to right. the to the stage versus yeah. three or four. So again, this is a long way of saying getting to hang out has been like extra cool. Hawaii was extra cool. Yeah. And here's when I truly go. Again, seeing someone on stage, you get a new uh, found uh, respect to see someone in their element, right? Absolutely. But getting to, for me. Kicking it with somebody like when we went ziplining in Hawaii and having that hang, not just be like, oh, let's go ziplining and let's climb up to the thing and zip from station to station. Right. But to have, I wanted that whole day. I was like, man, we're going with our girls. We're going to be ziplining. It's outdoors. It's fucking Hawaii. And it's my, it's in my nature to be with these guides and like, you know, I was in the back of the class making jokes, trying to make my friends laugh, busting the teacher's balls. And right out of the gate like you were doing that with our two guides yeah and then you and i had some back and forth and i was like oh man like this truly is is what it's all about sure and to but to get that uh and to see how fun you were in that space i go oh no wonder that you're that fun on stage because you can't do one without the other you right. got you got to be and uh and you yeah, know you, you have to have plane, that levity in your life and in your career but hanging on the plane hanging at your place watching football games at clubs hey that's all fun and loose but like you know like to get out and do something that's like out of the uh not out of the comfort zone but out outside of course. the the realm of of the traditional hang and still have it be like where you go oh yeah at the core of it i just want to have fun and make make my friends laugh of you course know? yeah that's and that's really it that's that it. was eye-opening. It was That's like, it. Yeah. Like, to, to bullshit and be able to just, like, be funny off the cuff and enjoy life and, and, and be in a situation where, yeah, it's nice to be on a private plane. It's It makes me sometimes, as I'm sitting here, remember, like, being at the back of a lot of Greyhound buses, you know, uh, jammed in in that middle seat and going, I just want to work hard enough that I can provide an opportunity to make great memories. And that's what we're doing. Fuck. Well, thank you. This was awesome. Absolutely, first, man. First private jet podcast. Katie Couric might have done one. Can we tell people that we're actually also flying the plane? <laughs> we killed the pilots. <laughs> They're dead. I played Microsoft uh, Simulation a couple of times back in 98. Yeah, I, I think I know how to bring this fucking bird in. Can I be honest? That's all you need. That's it. I played Duck Hunt. You don't think I can steer a tool? Yeah. Let's land this fucker it's and do a show. It's just a joystick. Is that a lake? <laughs> Let's land there and duck hunt. <laughs> good night, everybody. Hey, everybody. Have a good one. Show. That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. We had laughs and stories. Now go listen to more episodes.
It's me, Tony Danza. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. Boy, they're a lot of fun, huh? Why don't you subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast, give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessamay Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice. Meh, what's up, dog? This is your pal Bugs Bunny. Say, uh, I got a question for you. Do you know who has the head of Elmer Fudd and the body of Foghorn Leghorn? Why, that's Adam Ray and Brad Williams. Ain't I a stinker? Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.